BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I just, I look at the way that it went down yesterday. Um, the fact that you have to tell Alderman, based on your reporting, to take a walk, um, you know, and, and the amount of work that went in to get 23 votes, um, which I really think underscores that while those 23 members and plus the mayor may support a ceasefire in the way that it was presented yesterday in that ordinance, the majority of Chicago does not. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is David Goldenberg, Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League Midwest. David, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is the morning after a very tumultuous city council meeting that culminated in Mayor Brandon Johnson casting the tide-breaking vote to make Chicago the largest city in the nation to demand a ceasefire in the war between Israel and Hamas. It is a symbolic resolution. The city council, of course, plays no role in determining the foreign policy of the United States. Why are you so upset about what happened here this week? Well, I think it's important to put this in the fuller context, right? So this resolution, while there was a vote finally yesterday, it's been out there for three months, if not more. And it's been building up with protests in streets that have celebrated violence against Jews, that have celebrated Hamas has used anti-Semitic tropes. It's included over the last three months a dramatic uptick in the number of anti-Semitic incidents in the city of Chicago and also nationwide. I mean, you'll track to track a 360% increase in anti-Semitic incidents uh, across the country. And what I can tell you is that in the city of Chicago, we will have tracked more, we tracked more anti-Semitic incidents in last year in 2023 than we did the two years combined previous. And so, you know, what we've seen were Jewish elected officials that were targeted and harassed. We saw it again yesterday on the floor of the chamber. Um, we have seen the intimidation of elected officials. We've seen Jewish students in Chicago public schools feeling intimidated and being victims of anti-Semitism. And so yesterday's culminating vote was incredibly disappointing in the way that it was handled, um, but also in everything that led up to it. And when you say incredibly disappointing in the way it was handled, how so? Well, look, it was a completely one-sided resolution that emboldened Hamas, a terrorist organization. It undermined U.S. 
influence and U.S. authority and strength on the national and international stage, excuse me. Um, and at the end of the day, too, is it lacked context as to how the war began between Israel and Hamas. And it suggested that, you know, that Israel is responsible for what is going on there right now, which nothing could be further from the truth. Okay. But when you look at the numbers, you look at the sheer numbers, you see, obviously, Israel is attacked on October 7th, 1,200 people were killed, women and children and innocent people, 240 hostages taken. And then the war begins, and then the casualties on the other side and the devastation on the other oh, side yeah. to the tune of 26,000 or whatever. If you're weighing the two, then people in the streets would say, well... How do you how do you respond to that? Do you have a problem yeah. with how the war has been prosecuted by Benjamin oh, Netanyahu? Look, and, and and I realized the way that I sort of ended my my last answer, I didn't mean it that Israel doesn't have a role or responsibility as far as what's going on. So let me sort of clarify that or add to it. Um, the the reality is is that you can be as I and ADL are incredibly upset about the impact that this war has had on civilians in Gaza. Full stop right there. And at the same time, we can also say that we are concerned about, you know, when legitimate critiques of Israeli policies quickly turn into anti-Semitism. And those two are not mutually exclusive. And so, um, I, I, I've lived in Israel, I went to college for a year in Israel, um, and spent a lot of time in the West Bank and spent time in Gaza um, doing community service work, right? And so what I will say is that um, my heart breaks, right, for what is occurring there. Um, and we do need this war to come to an end, um, but it can't just happen with Hamas remaining in power. It can't come to an end without hostages being returned. It can't come to an end without Hamas um, being dismantled and having, if Hamas still has the ability to carry out attacks against Israel and others, um, that's a problem. Mayor Johnson not only broke the 23 to 23 deadlock, he personally lobbied fence-sitting alderman on behalf of the resolution championed by his hand-picked human relations chair, Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez, and asked his allies, Vice Mayor Walter Burnett, Black Hawkish Chair Stephanie Coleman, to take a walk off the floor if they could not bring themselves to vote in favor of the resolution. Finance Chair Pat Dowell also attended the meeting but didn't vote. Emma Mitz was a no-show. So you could argue that Johnson didn't have the votes, and the only way he did it was to get people to not vote. What, what do you think of the enormous amount of political capital that this mayor spent to get this resolution through, and will he pay a price for having done it? Look, I, what I, can, I, I can tell you this, that after three months of this resolution being out there, after protests and threatening and harassment of Jewish elected officials and Jewish students in CPS 
and across the board. Um, at the end of the day, the best they could come up with was 23 votes yesterday. That was the best they could come up with. And that is, by the way, less than half of the city council. Um, and I, I, I think what's important to do is put it in context of what occurred in other cities this week. So last week, the city of Minneapolis, um, the city council passed a ceasefire resolution. Two days ago, the mayor of Minneapolis vetoed that resolution in an incredibly powerful statement. Um, and by the way, the, the mayor of Minneapolis um, is a champion in the progressive space him, in and of himself and a leader in the LGBTQ community. Um, and so, you know, he vetoed it. He had the power and the strength and he had the courage to veto it and do what was right. Um, and why and did so, he do that? Why did he do that? He, for the same reasons that I articulated, the, their resolution in Minneapolis was very similar to the one that we had here in Chicago. He said, listen, we can be for a ceasefire, but we also have to have a balanced approach to this. We shouldn't be undermining U.S. Uh, US foreign policy. We shouldn't be undermining um, uh, the ability for a democratic country to protect itself and defend its citizens. We should be calling for Hamas to be dismantled, and we should be calling for the unconditional release of, uh, of hostages. And we should also, by the way, and can also, call for unfiltered access of humanitarian assistance to the Palestinian people and ensuring that that actually gets to them rather than Hamas fighters. And so his point was like, we can't ignore that context. We can't ignore um, what is occurring on the ground and we can't ignore as to what comes next. And so, you know, two very different leaders and two very different styles and two very different, obviously, perspectives. And so, um, you know, it's, I just, I look at the way that it went down yesterday. Um, the fact that you have to tell Alderman, based on your reporting, to take a walk, um, you know, and, and the amount of work that went in to get 23 votes, um, which I really think underscores that while those 23 members and plus the mayor may support a ceasefire in the way that it was presented yesterday in that ordinance, the majority of Chicago does not. Will Mayor Johnson pay a political price with Jewish leaders and Jewish voters? And if so, what is that price? You know, I think we're going to have to wait and see where the dust settles. ADL is a 501c3, so we don't get involved in the politics of it. Um, what I can tell you, though, is that Jewish groups and Jewish leaders, we're not particularly happy right now. We're particularly concerned. Um, you know, one of the things that there were incredible um, an incredible amount of work that was done in outreach that was done over the last few months um, by Jewish organizations, by Jewish leaders, um, by Alderman Silverstein and others on the city council to the mayor and to Alderman Laspada and Alder uh, Rodriguez asking and, and providing some, frankly, pretty reasonable additional whereas clauses and the resolve clauses yesterday that reflect these concerns that I've raised with you, um, that vote yesterday could have been 50 to zero. Like, actually could have been 50 to zero. What the city would it have, have come to together. be 50 to zero and avoid the Look, kind I, of divisiveness I, that could have longstanding ramifications for the city yeah. council's abil Look, ability to govern? 
there were provisions that were proposed that said Hamas should not should should be disarmed and not have the ability to still be a threat to attack Israel and put Palestinian civilians in harm's way. There was a provision that was requested um, that stated uh, um, that that did not include or that that struck references to this United Nations Resolution 377, which undermines U.S. foreign policy. Um, And there were some other pretty common sense things that we're talking about here. Um, There was a provision that ensured that that stated very clearly that uh, that humanitarian assistance actually got to Palestinian civilians and not to Hamas fighters. All of those were rejected. They were rejected by the sponsors of the resolution, and the mayor balked at engaging uh, to have them inserted. Had we done that, had they, had the city council come together and used that one month delay, actually uh, compromising and actually coming up with a resolution that um, that recognized sort of these important aspects. Um, that vote could have been fifty to not fifty to zero, and no one would have had to take a walk. So, what will the ramifications be for the city council for Brandon Johnson politically? Will this divisiveness last? What do you think happens here? I don't know. I, I really, I, I'm not smart enough to know where it's going to go, but I can tell you though that the city has some very significant issues that we have to figure out, right? We have a growing migrant crisis. We have continued violence and gun violence that is occurring in every single neighborhood and every single ward in the city. We have police arbitration, a police arbitration vote that's been kicked now, what, three times. There are some real significant issues. We still have uh, Chicago public schools are underperforming. Um, so we have some real significant issues in this city that require, frankly, political courage and to come together, to compromise, to be bold. Um, and whether or not, you know, and, and, if, and, if, and if those issues are handled in the same manner that this non-binding resolution was handled, there's going to be some these challenges in the city are not going to be easy to overcome. And in fact, they're probably going to get worse. Everyone is for a ceasefire. It's almost like being for mom and apple pie, but ceasefires need to be negotiated. What is it about the wording of this resolution that you find so offensive? Well, it's not as much what's necessarily in the resolution, but it's what's not in the resolution. <clears throat> the The resolution seeks to paint a picture and sought to paint a picture of Israel as the oppressor, sought to paint a picture um, that Hamas has no role or responsibility in this, and that you can somehow have a unilateral, one-sided ceasefire when, as you just said, it takes two sides, right? Even when word was leaked a week ago that Israel and Hamas working with the Qataris and with the Egyptians um, as intermediaries were getting close to the possibility of a two-month ceasefire that would lead, could result in the release of hostages 
um, in exchange for uh, convicted Palestinian prisoners. Um, and so even when that happened, within minutes, Hamas rejected it, and they responded by firing 200 rockets into Israel indiscriminately. And so there's just a reality on the ground here that that resolution completely um, neglected. But as I said earlier, it's not just the resolution. It was the environment also on the ground in Chicago that that resolution created. And in those three months since the resolution was introduced, we have seen a dramatic spike in anti-Semitic incidents. We have seen an increase in harassment against Jewish elected officials, including Alderman Deborah Silverstein, that we saw yesterday being taunted and harassed on the floor of, of the city council from the chamber. And here's the problem. In that moment, yes, the mayor eventually cleared the chamber, but the mayor didn't say, I categorically reject this anti-Semitism. I will not stand here as you harass our colleague on the floor of the city council. In that moment, not a single alderman stood up and said, enough with the anti-Semitism. And that's a problem. That is, is a does that problem. Make, does, does that silence make Johnson complicit and anti-Semitic himself? What do you think is the no, reason I don't, I, why? I, I don't think, no, I mean, I've, I've known him for many years back to when he was an organizer with CTU. I don't believe that he's anti-Semitic. But at the same time, it takes courage to stand up to your allies and say, enough already. This is not okay. And he didn't do it at yesterday's city council meeting. Not a single alderman did it. He didn't do it at the previous one, and he didn't do it at the one before that. So and what so does like that say about him? Other what does that say about him? What it's, I mean, it, it wasn't just him, it was other aldermen too as well. What it means is like, what I, what I think is important is this, is that it's really easy to criticize, shall we say, the other side, right? Oh, those guys aren't with us. It's really easy to criticize them. But are you willing to do it? And are you willing to say enough? Are you willing to stand up against vitriol and anti-Semitism coming from your allies? And, the and fact not a single alderman or the mayor didn't, didn't do it. The fact that he isn't and didn't, what does it say about him? Is he afraid of his own allies? Is, is he manipulated by them? Is What uh, is it about Brandon Johnson that made him unwilling to do that? You've got to ask him as to why in what that do you moment think? he... What do you think? I, what I think it does, I think it takes courage. I think it takes courage to do that. We work with children in K through 12 schools. We work in corporate environments. We work in higher education. And one of the things that we often talk about is the courage that is needed to do the right thing, to speak out, to respond to lies and misinformation and hate with facts and to show strength, even when you're not the one who's being targeted. And so those are things that we teach third graders and second graders and college students and people in the corporate workplace of how to be an ally. And what I can tell you is that what we've seen in the last three months, um, at least in, in the city council chambers, um, like in those situations, like we've met, there have been missed opportunities to speak out against anti-Semitism. And 
but let's also, I, I do want to also make clear, though, is that um, there were 23 aldermen yesterday who voted against this. And, you know, based on your reporting, it sounds like there were more than 23 aldermen who, would have, who were prepared to vote against this. Um, and so we can't, you know, we want to recognize them for having the courage um, against these types of protests, these targeting. I mean, there was during the during the CPS student walkout two days ago, there was a, a an image circulating on, I think, Instagram um, of these aldermen who were planning to vote no on the resolution with pictures and their eyes were like devil, were, were, they looked like the devil, they were bright red, right? I mean, that's sort of like what you're getting from and what we're seeing and, and, and how these aldermen were targeted. And so it still took courage for them to vote no. Um, and it takes courage to speak out against your allies when they are engaging in anti-Semitism. And um, it's unfortunate that we that that courage was not on displayed, was not being displayed at all yesterday. Deb Silverstein, the city council's lone Jewish member, was jeered as she attempted to state her case for defeating the resolution, forcing Johnson to clear the chambers. And when the meeting resumed an hour later, she began her emotional address from the beginning so she could do it uninterrupted. She argued that the final version is not a compromise because it did not, among other things, mention the kidnapping, abuse, deprivation, and rape that Hamas committed during the October 7th attack or demand the unconditional release of all the hostages. Uh, she said that everybody wants peace in the Middle East, but it's vital to understand what caused the conflict. And we should not pass a resolution that doesn't do that responsibly and that makes it clear that Hamas cannot and should not attack again. Uh, the, the business about this UN Resolution 377, that's the one that Biden vetoed. And so the the reference to the number of that resolution was stricken from the language, but there were four whereas clauses of the resolution that relate to and adopt the resolution's spirit, even though the numbers were stricken. Why is that so important? How does that weaken the U.S. power in the U.N. and Biden's power? Yeah, well, I would say not only were they, they, they weren't implied. I mean, it, it had specific language about the roll call vote in the United General, in the United Nations General Assembly, right? The only thing was right. missing was the, was the resolution number, but like right. it was the exact same language. It was, you know, yesterday's resolution was not a compromise. Um, and, uh, and so I was, I was surprised by some of the language that was used by Alderman who said that different language that they asked for or provisions that they asked for were accepted because I happen to know what those aldermen asked for. And I can tell you that 90% of what they asked for was not actually accepted. And so, um, you know, I, I was surprised by that, but still, um, what, what I can tell you about the United Nations 377 is the, the United States as one of the five countries globe in the United Nations who has veto authority in the security council uses that veto authority to go after uh, terrorists, dictators, authoritarian regimes. Um, and that's, that is one tool that we use to wield our strength and influence on the global stage. The idea that the Chicago City Council yesterday voted uh, in support of a United Nations resolution 
that consciously and purposely went around U.S. foreign policy or that went around the United States to undermine us in the United Nations is a problem. I mean, the vote that the city council took yesterday, those 23 members and the mayor who voted for this resolution voted yesterday, and I don't even use this in hyperbole, but literally voted to side with Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea, because those four countries were huge champions of that vote in the United Nations. And that is exactly who those 23 members of the city council and the mayor sided with yesterday from a foreign policy perspective. Behind the scenes in the months of negotiations that led to this moment, there were frenzied negotiations, thousands of emails flooding the mailboxes of Alderman to try and influence the vote. Alderman Samantha Nugent had protesters showing up at her ward office. Chicago public school students walked out of school in midday this week to demand a ceasefire and descended on City Hall. These were all major pressure tactics. Some of those emails referred to President Joe Biden as Genocide Joe. And yet Chicago is going to play host to the Democratic National Convention that's expected to renominate that same Joe Biden for a second term. What impact will all of this have on the convention that we are scheduled to host and the protesters who descend on it? Well, look, they weren't just calling him Genocide Joe, like when the First Lady came to Chicago a couple weeks ago. The groups like USPCN and AMP were organizing protests calling her Genocide Jill, right? And so um, that's kind of like their go-to, their mantra for people who don't agree with them. Um, and so, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, these groups and organizations have made it clear that a target of theirs is the DNC. And so uh, the Democratic Party and the city are going to have to figure that out. Um, they're going to have to figure out what, what that looks like. And What do you think um, it looks you know, like? But, what do you think it looks like? Is it an invitation to the world to descend on Chicago like 68? Look, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think there's a lot of time between now and the convention. There's a lot of things that are likely to happen or not happen on the ground in the Middle East. And we're just going to have to see, frankly, what the environment looks like, right? So if, if you read recent news reports, the thing I saw this morning is that there could be a ceasefire announced as soon as this weekend um, of some kind. So we're just gonna have to kind of wait and see what, what the world looks like. Um, but what, what I think we have seen at least over the last few months um, is that those who are leading these protests um, are generally uh, shameless and unabashed in in their hate um, and unafraid to use it, right? So you have people who are marching and chanting, celebrating violence against Jews. You have uh, people who are spreading anti-Semitism, who are uh, issuing threats uh, that in some cases are veiled and other cases are not. Um, and so if they're willing to do that here in our own city, um, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what are they going to be willing to do as it relates to the DNC? Like, I can't imagine it's any less. The city council is more divided than ever. Will this have lasting ramifications on that? And Mayor Johnson, you know, casting the tie-breaking vote, he's already done it twice. He saved uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa from censure a couple months ago. Uh it's mind-boggling to think that he's had to do that 
when the most controversial elements of his progressive agenda, the 800 million in tax increases on businesses and wealthy Chicagoans to bankroll the billion dollars worth of investments in people that he uses as the cornerstone of his anti-violence strategy. He hasn't done any of that yet. And yet he's got two tie-breaking votes and the council's so divided. What, what will the lasting impact of these events of this week be? I mean, there's, there could be lots of different ways to look at it, right? Um, if he believes in doing this and, and, and casting these tie-breaking votes, he is able to curry favor with progressives, as he's seen right now. Perhaps this is a, you know, this is a, a free field operation for him to advance some of these other policies. We'll have to see. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if that plays a role in the calculation in, in, in doing some of these things, but I think what we have seen though here is that, um, you have an uber progressive extreme wing of, uh, of the city council that seems to be dictating policy. Uh, and, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if they're, punching above their weight class if they're influencing things more than they would otherwise. Um, but, but this, this sort of this extreme wing though, that has helped to spread anti-Semitism in a real dramatic way in the city of Chicago seems to be dictating policy. Um, and I'm not saying the city council is anti-Semitic. I'm not saying the mayor is anti-Semitic. Uh, I'm seeing that there are some in the city council who have um, done a lot over the last three months to help anti-Semitism spread. Um, and so we'll have to see whether or not it had what type of lasting effect these types of extreme policies and extreme ideologies have uh, in the city. Will this vote and the and the arm twisting leading up to it by the mayor undermine his efforts to get other things passed, other more important things for Chicago and its many, many, many problems? I'd like to hope that the city, <clears throat> that, that these really big, tough issues, um, a vote like this you can overcome. Um, to be statesmen uh, and and put the needs of Chicagoans first and foremost, um, but I I think there's probably going to be some trust issues. I think there's going to be some concerns, um, and there's a lot of bridges that need to be rebuilt, um, and hurt feelings that need to be addressed, um, because in this particular situation, it wasn't just a difference of policy. I mean, we literally have Jews who feel and actually are less safe in the city right now than they were three or four months ago. Um, and there have been several opportunities to speak out and say enough is enough. Um, and that hasn't necessarily occurred. And so there's, there's just some real ramifications here. A few hours after the tumultuous meeting, two Chicago public school, school students were shot. One of them is dead. Two more students were murdered last week in the South Loop. It begs the question why we're spending so much time on this. And do we need a ceasefire in Chicago more than we need one in the <laughs> Middle East? Well, you know, we could argue we need one in both places. Uh, but... But what I would tell you here right now, though, is um, I think what occurred just hours after the council meeting yesterday underscores 
the very real, very significant issues our city is facing right now. And it's going to take courage and it's going to take more than just ideology. Um, it's going to take pragmatism. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's also not, and, and hate is not, is not going to help. Um, and yesterday's resolution was about hate. It was about divisiveness. It was about, uh, it was, let's just call it, it was incredibly disappointing all the way around and frankly dangerous. David Goldenberg, thank you so much for joining us. I understand you have a lot of sick uh, people in your house, uh, your your wife and your kids with COVID and strep throat and all these things. I wish you luck in getting through that immediate crisis, sir. We're single-handedly keeping the soup business and in uh, the soup industry and business in Chicago. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I'm sure it's chicken soup, right? Yeah, 100% and matzo balls. Okay. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>